entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? Hello there you little scallywags. Welcome back to Strength for Tomorrow Radio. Thank you for joining me. So glad you could be here. If this is your first time, where have you been? You've been missing out on some really great interviews, some really top guests lately. Uh, we've discussed the weird, the wonderful, to downright disgusting whenever it comes to health, fitness and life, really. But um, anyway, this is episode 63. There wasn't a show last week, I was simply too busy to get around to doing a show, putting it together and just bring it to the, the quality you expect and that you deserve as a listener of the show. Um, but fear not, we're back this week and what you could have done if you were missing, missing us, you could have just went back and listened to our last episode, episode 62, makes sense obviously, 63 this week. 63 last time with Dr. Eamon Laird who gave us some really top golden nuggets of information regarding vitamin D um, if you haven't listened to that you really need to especially now it's getting colder the sun's going going down it's getting lower in the sky it's getting getting uh, getting weaker and um, it's that time of year in the northern hemisphere where we don't get enough quality sunlight and we aren't able to produce vitamin D so check out episode 62 it'll give you all the information you need to know what to do about it keep healthy over the winter so this week we're going to discuss all manner of things it's a bit of a thrown together one but it's basically a few things that i've been thinking about studying about trying out and you might have heard of some of them you might not you might outright dismiss some of them others you might want to give a go delve a bit delve into them a bit more and see if they work for you see if they make sense do whatever you want with the information I'm going to give you basically a bit of a rundown of them and then give you my opinion of them. So, without further ado, let's get stuck in. So, first of all, our first topic today is mouth taping. What is that? Sounds weird, right? Basically, I've, I've been aware of it for a few years now, probably two or three. I've tried it a few times myself dipped in and out of it but I think it's kind of been around for well probably longer than you always realize but I think for at least six seven years I'm sure it's been around a lot longer but it kind of got a little bit of traction about six years ago I guess and it's basically like a home remedy that's supposed to help with help prevent you from breathing through your mouth when you sleep now you might be listening to this and think that sounds dangerous, Stuart. Surely breathing is a good thing when you're sleeping. And it is a good thing. It's brilliant. But mouth breathing, there's been a number of things associated with mouth breathing that are unhealthy, that are negative, such as snoring, um, even allergies and oral health, like bad breath and even stuff like probably tooth decay as well. But some people swear by taping their mouths. You'll come across people that think it's like you're literally an idiot if you don't do it. I thought it was very, very strange the first time I heard it. And I was like, whenever I read the benefits of it, I was like, well, I'll give it a whirl. But I guess the science so far behind it is pretty lacking. So it's pretty much anecdotal. 
I guess it's people's um, opinions at this stage. It can't really be verified. So they're probably, um, it needs to be a, a little bit more studying done on it. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit about kind of what behind it, what, what the, the point of it is, a little bit more detail, and then some of the benefits of it, some of the negative consequences, and then I'll give you my experience of it, my brief experience of it. But there are some unintentional negative side effects potentially with it. Um, maybe you're wondering, is it something you should try? Um, keep listening, basically. How does it work? Well, the process behind taping your mouth is exactly as it sounds. It's putting a bit of tape over your mouth. Probably not something like the cell tape. It's probably not a good idea. But you know, like medical tape you can get. We use tape sometimes in the gym for taping your thumbs. If you're doing like a, a hook grip for, on the barbell, it, it helps whenever you're doing a little bit of lifting. So I have some of that tape in the house. And that's literally what I've used to experiment and try and do it but if you're like a regular mouth breather so you sleep with your mouth open maybe you snore maybe you don't um you know most people would be able to automatically breathe through their nose um if you're not able to through your mouth like you, you'll be able to automatically switch to that but this is the exact reverse of what happens whenever you have nasal congestion so um whenever you breathe through your mouth because you literally can't breathe through your nose. It's a horrible experience and you probably shouldn't be trying to do, do um, mouth taping if you have the cold or something, which most of us do at this time of the year, unfortunately. Um, now, while you might need to breathe through your mouth occasionally, you know, during exercise, if you, you know, are all blocked up, it is important to breathe through your nose as much as possible. And this is something I've become more aware of in the last few years, how important it is. And you can also gauge how how fit you are, how out of breath you are, how 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 um, taxed and challenged you are during exercise if you are unable to breathe through your nose anymore, if you have to resort to mouth breathing. Um, if you actually, if you ever look at any combat sports, so like UFC or boxing, and you see a fighter with their mouth hanging open, you see their jaw hanging down, you know that guy is gassed. You know that guy is either he's had his nose broken, he, he can't get enough air through it, or he's just really, really winded and tired in the fight. You'll see it typically later on in the fight whenever they have to open their mouth, which is a problem if there's another guy trying to punch you in the mouth. Um, if your jaw is hanging open, you're likely going to get a, a broken jaw or something. But no, whenever you, you try and emphasize breathing through your nose, it helps to lubricate your nostrils. It helps prevent your sinuses from drying out. Um, you know, make sure that you know, the air you breathe in is more humid. Um, and this can help with things like chronic lung diseases, asthma springs to mind, um, it balances out your pH levels in your mouth, prevents dental decay, your mouth drying out, you know that really bad not morning breath, not nice. There's all sorts of reasons why it's a better idea to breathe through your nose as much as you possibly can. Um, even, even intake of nitric oxide, which is crucial for your brain function, um, your cardiovascular health and overall level of oxygen levels um, to basically decrease your chances of snoring. So it's good for you and your wife or your husband or partner or whatever. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's kind of marketed as like a sleep apnea treatment. So mouth taping on itself is probably not going to fix everything. Okay, so if that, you're thinking it's going to do all that for you, uh -uh. There's, some, there's something else going on and you need to get that sorted. But... Typically, breathing through the mouth 
is associated with that as well. Um, you might need to consider more traditional sleep apnea treatments. Again, though, we're going to put a disclaimer, chat to your doctor about it, um, CPAP machines and all that. But some claim, there's some claims that mouth taping will lead to better sleep. So um, it's like a strategy you can use to just get in a better night's sleep. And as we all know, sleeping better is going to make you perform better in the gym. It's going to make you perform better um, during the day. Whatever it is you're doing in your work, in your play, whatever it is you're going to do, if you're well slept, if you've got a good night's sleep, you're going to be in better shape, right? So whenever you sleep, your body recovers. Your memories are like consolidated toxins are flushed from your system there's lots of repair what good work goes on and whenever you nose breathe when you're sleeping your body is basically able to achieve a relaxation response and this is key to maintaining deep sleep and it helps you to progress through your, your different stages of the sleep cycle the normal sleep cycle and this is essentially because the nose helps us to maintain homeostasis by balancing our autonomic nervous system so that protects us from stress, anxiety, sleeplessness, so you can wake up feeling really refreshed and, and stronger um, without even taking coffee, which is quite something for me. Another claim with regards to mouth taping is it's supposed to help with your oral hygiene, your oral health, so you're not going to have to go to the dentist as much, you're not going to have to get costly operations or costly procedures um, carried out. Um, Basically, whenever you mouth breathe, your mouth dries out so quickly and this decreases your saliva production. And apparently saliva is, is critical um, to wash away the bacteria in our mouth and for also neutralizing the acid that builds up. Um, so without it, if, we're, you know, if you're looking at it from a betting point of view, chances are you're going to um, incur you know, sort of tooth decay, cavities, all that sort of stuff. And this is one of the claims that is made around this dry mouth is apparently one of the leading causes of gum disease. Any dentist listening can confirm or deny that for me if they want. Um, and that can actually lead to stuff like heart disease, which is pretty damn serious. So that's another claim, whether it can be verified or not. Can mouth tape and help prevent that? Maybe, who knows? What about snoring? So as we said, um, you can if you mouth tape, um, whenever, you, whenever you sleep, the muscles in and around your mouth will relax and this causes your mouth to fall open. And this results in your airway closing and then that's what causes snores through the mouth. And it's really, really annoying. Oh my, it's so annoying. I, I've had experiences like in, <laughs> I think it was my dad. Yeah, it was my dad when I was growing up and we were staying we were on holidays and I had to leave the room. Um, Rush in like a big room, and I had to leave the room and go and sleep in the hallway because the snoring was so loud. Like, I just got a duvet, got a blanket, and just went and lay on the floor in the hall. It was so cold, but it was better than having to endure that. It's horrendous. Do you have any snore stories? Let me know. Also, it's not just that snoring is really annoying for everybody around you, but it, it can also impact your health and the people around you if they're not getting enough good quality sleep. It is actually as a precursor, apparently, to sleep apnea and as a serious sleep disorder. Can lead to cardiovascular cognitive disorders, so taping your mouth is a pretty simple, seems like a pretty simple solution, right? And I guess it can only help. I'm not sure saying it's going to solve everything, um, but it, it's it can only help, I guess. So it's it's not a bad claim, but again, can it be verified? Probably not yet. Um, it's apparently supposed to boost your immunity, so it provides your immune system. This is the claim. It provides your immune system with an extra layer of defense 
so as the nose as the nose breathing it'll give you a better chance of you know standing against disease and infection if you think about it your nose is the only organ we have that has the ability to filter air the air we breathe before we get it into our deeper organs like our lungs etc and our lower respiratory passage um, and sometimes that air can contain bacteria bad bacteria so our nose is producing nitric oxide and this, there's a, this is a vasodilating gas that kills bacteria in airborne particles and this stops us from ingesting it which is pretty cool when you think about it and uh, if you think about even stuff like the most basic respiratory illnesses that we can pick up um, I don't want to name drop any over the last two years but what would happen if we had nose breathed more and mouth breathed less I guarantee you most people you know are mouth breathers I guarantee it um, so it's it's yeah it's a really crazy one but it's, it's, it's an interesting one so if you put tape on your nose oh sorry on your mouth to get your to make yourself try to breathe more through your nose you're gonna decrease your chance of catching a cold that mucus that membrane which is responsible for killing germs it lines your nose and extends all the way down entering into your lungs so if you are nose breathing at night thanks to sticking a bit of tape across your mouth Whenever the germs in your nostrils, they'll get caught in the mucus and die, is a theory. And that can save you from colds, coughs, sneezes, runny nose, all that sort of stuff, which I absolutely hate. So that's another reason. Like I've never heard this one. I was like, that's an interesting one. Really hard to verify, but don't knock it till you try it, right? So I'm I, I kinda wanna I kinda wanna delve into it more for that being one of the main reasons, because I think it kinda makes sense. Or what about this one? It's supposed to help lower your blood pressure. A lot of people have high blood pressure these days, right? There's all sorts of medications for it. But have you ever been told whenever you're feeling stressed or anxious to take deep breaths? Take 10 deep breaths. In and out. Yeah, nice and easy. This is because... <laughs> funny story, actually. I, um, <laughs> I've, I've got a blood pressure monitor. Uh, I took it home there recently to uh, to check up on a client's uh, blood pressure and I had it there the other day I just wanted to check mine out of interest more than anything I was just before I went to bed one night I thought I would check it and uh, I started breathing like really deep breaths my wife was like why, why are you breathing like that and I was like because I'm, I'm doing my blood pressure I'm going to get a really good result here what do you see she was laughing because she's a nurse but um, lo and behold it was excellent it was like 128 over 72 or something and uh so yeah, anyway, I digress, but this is a good example. But breathing is so closely tied to our blood pressure. And according to the CDC, which is that uh, glowing bastion of uh, truth, one out of every three Americans has high blood pressure. I mean, that's scary. And I imagine it's something similar over here. Um, as we know, we've noted before, high blood pressure puts you at risk of heart disease, stroke. Um, it's two of the leading causes of, of death in the United States and, and pretty similar over here as well. So whenever you mouth tape, if you whenever you sleep, this is one way you can actually help control your blood pressure, which sounds really disconnected and indirect, but it's true. And the reason being is the increased nitric acid, sorry, the increased nitric oxide production that comes along with nose breathing helps to reduce blood pressure by expanding your blood vessels 
and increasing the ability to transport that oxygen throughout your body. So if you contrast that mouth breathing, mouth breathing has actually been associated with higher blood pressure, um, this is because it can result in low oxygen concentration in the blood, which sounds again, it's a big claim, um, but it's kind of crazy, but again, it kind of makes sense, right? And then one of the final final um, claims that have been made is that mouth taping will give you a better morning. So as I said, like it's supposed to give you better sleep, but if you ever wake up in the morning, your, your throat feels like sandpaper. I've woke up in the morning, I felt like my throat has, like I'm getting a, getting a sore throat, I'm getting a sore throat. And then as the day goes on, it actually wears off and my throat feels a lot better. And that's because probably I've been mouth breathing the whole night, with my mouth open and there's something got in there and irritated the back of my throat. Maybe you can even get like a sinus headache. So apparently mouth breathing has been claimed as well. It can reduce that discomfort caused um, by, sorry, mouth taping um, can reduce that discomfort that can be caused by mouth breathing, like dry mouth, uh, sore throats, chapped lips, nasal congestion, stuff like that. So all these things that you, th you just think are part of life part of growing up right one of those annoying things in life um but should you give it a go we're going to discuss some of the side effects and risks of mouth taping in just a little moment but i'd love to know your thoughts do you think it's batch crazy like do you think it's, it's nuts or do you think it's like yeah makes sense i'd love to know your thoughts because um i've dabbled in it as i've said but there are lots of claims around its um its use and its benefits and why we all should be doing it. Now some people probably don't need to be doing it. Um, some people I've read are more likely to breathe through their nose or they're just more they're just yeah in tune with themselves and they kind of know to breathe through their nose. There's other people who've been breathing through their mouths for thirty years, like me, who will need to do it for probably a while to get into the habit of it, to get into the routine and train train my body to. To, to take in air in that way but yeah you probably shouldn't do it if you if you got the cold otherwise you will suffocate and die so just a little disclaimer there don't keep breathing basically is is the advice um you probably should talk to your your gp you know if you're you try this or maybe they actually don't because they'll probably think you're nuts but maybe you're maybe you get insomnia from it there's some people who can't get to sleep you know if you change anything a little in your sleeping habits and it's all of a sudden you you just can't get to sleep like if you change sides or you say i'm going to go and sleep in my back i'm not going to sleep in my front and you can't get to sleep it could take a while it might take a few nights maybe take a few weeks to get over it and to get into the routine the habit of it um just even waking up feeling like you're suffocating that's how me and just it just takes you a moment to go oh wait it's okay it's just got this bit of tape someone's not gagging me and holding me down um, I guess more like silly things like you know sticky residue left over from the, the next over on the next day. Whenever you put the tape on, there's a wee bit of stickiness. Like, I don't really it doesn't really bother me. Um, some people say I put like a bit of Vaseline or something there and that'll stop it, but I guess it'll could potentially just let the tape fall off. So, yeah. As I said, there's not much scientific evidence behind this yet. It is more anecdotal. It is somebody said this and somebody said that, and a bunch of people have, have said it's good, but you know some other people have said it's bad. So. It's up to you. Like, like anything, the best thing to do is to try it. Like I mean, obviously don't do it when you've got a, a cold, as we said, but give it a go. Um, some people suggest that you are you should apply yeah, sort of some Vaseline or petroleum jelly around to your lips and surround area skin just to stop skin irritation and residue from the tape. But I I think if you you could potentially apply too much and it wouldn't stick at all. 
and then it's supposed to go horizontally on top of your lips. I actually do it um, the other way. I do it vertically because I don't like the... Because <laughs> all I'm trying to do is close my lips together. I'm not trying to um, like just shut in any potential air getting in that way. I'm just trying to encourage my nostrils to do all of the breathing. So if I can keep my mouth shut, it means that I can breathe through my nose easier. So some people suggest you should do it um, horizontally. Um, try it, try it the other way. I find it better the other way. Um, and then just for easy disposal, just make sure you have a little bit extra so it can extends a little bit further so you can grab little handles at the end and get it off quickly. Um, and then before you tape your mouth, before you go to sleep, maybe you want to consider trying out this technique for a short time during the day just to acclimatize yourself to the process to make sure that you're comfortable with it it's not doesn't seem really bizarre and you're not thinking about it just before you go to sleep and it stresses you out and does the opposite of what the claims are supposed to be for it um don't do it going to the shops where people will think like you're some sort of like serial killer with their mouth shut with their mouth taped up or you're performing some sort of political statement or stunt um but yeah, there's all sorts of ways you can, you can you can safely do it. There's there's all sorts of tape. Don't you know? Maybe don't use duct tape. Don't use sellotape. Stuff like that. Packing tape probably not the best idea. It's not going to be nice in the skin. Stuff like medical strip. There's actual proper mouth tape and strips you can get, and um, that are single use strips made just for the lips that can, um, they can. They're generally not going to react badly with most people's skin either. Latex free, gluten free, hypoallergenic, all that stuff. So there's 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 a market for it basically there's um somebody's already created a market even if you've never heard of it or i've only just heard of it but some of the side effects um as we said you can you can really yeah you can you can uh, just it can almost stress you out to the point where you won't sleep very well which is a problem because you want to get better sleep but as we said there's all sorts of claims a lot of anecdotal claims you know asthma symptom exacerbator so you know if you're breathing through your mouth you're gonna have worse asthma dental conditions as we said dry mouth bleeding gums teeth grinding cavities high blood pressure increased heart rate sleep apnea um cardiovascular diseases come from that um sleep disturbances you know if you're waking up really frequently at night because you're not going through your nice deep sleep cycles and then sore throat something as simple as that so my advice is, if you think I'm crazy, let me know. No, don't don't tell me. Don't tell me. Just let me think I'm normal. Um, try it. Do give it a go. Get some some little med some medical tape, white medical tape, and just pull a little bit off and stick it across your lips and see um, how you get on. As I said, it takes a couple of nights to get used to. It. it takes a while to get used to it. And practice breathing through your nose during the day. So practice when you're out for a walk. Practice when you're driving practice when you're your 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 desk or whatever it is you're doing for work or during the day try and practice more nose breathing because there are apparently a lot of benefits that come from that and as i said if you can limit your supply coming in there you're gonna become more efficient at using it so people were talking lots of talk about masks and stuff over the last two years we've got a natural mask on our face god gave us a nice little filtration system up there so be a good idea to use it right yeah let me know what you think about that one because it's it seemed nuts to me at the start, but I've tried it. I'm gonna try and keep persisting with it and try and use it as much as I can, um, especially when I don't have a cold. So if I do have a cold, I'm gonna not do that obviously. But if I do have have don't whenever I don't have a cold, I'm gonna try and use it as often as I can. Let me know your experience of it though. I'd really be interested to hear. So I'm not the only weirdo. The next weird thing that I do. 
that you might want to do as well. Have you ever heard of toe spacers? Um, you might have. You might say, if you're a girl, you probably use something similar. If you're painting your toenails, maybe stop toenail nail, nail varnish. Toenail varnish. Is there a difference between nail varnish and toenail varnish? Let me know. I am oblivious to it. I'm ignorant of it. Don't really let me know. I'm only joking. But toe spacers. They're not. You know. There's there's different varieties of them. But basically. <laughs> I got some, it must be over a year ago, maybe 18 months ago, two years ago, and yeah, it must have been the last two years, and I put them on just for 30 minutes, I was trying to do it for 30 minutes a day, it doesn't happen, maybe do it once a week now, 30 minutes, no more than 30 minutes, but they're basically a tool that helps, supposed to help promote healthy toe splay, what a great word, splay, um, by separating the toes. There are lots and lots of benefits of um, doing this, and I think they are more verified and they're more obvious than the old mouth taping, but they help you to recover the natural shape and function of your feet by fanning out your toes into their natural position. Um, if you're like most most people, you'll wear conventional shoes since you were a child. Since you're no age, since you were probably walking or before you were walking as a child, your feet were squished into shoes. And even if they're the right size, um, they probably were too small for your feet. And what I mean by that is they're probably too narrow. So most people, um, the need to, well, everybody needs to spread their toes a little bit. And some people have wider feet than others. Shoes are, aren't really catered for that. So modern shoes generally have quite a narrow toe box because they look better, right? Big, wide, wide feet don't look great. They're not going to sell very well. Uh, so that's one of the reasons why. Um, so if you're, so you've spent your lifetime, if you're in your 30s or 40s listening to this, and I know most of you are who listen to this because Spotify gives me demographic data, so I know who you are, I know, um, but a lifetime, if you're squishing your feet in for 30 or 40 years into narrow shoes, it actually will cause the shape of your feet to change, and the amount of people that I come across who have all sorts of feet issue, foot issues, um, I was, I was quite unaware of this until I started training people, but Everything from plantar fasciitis to um, collapsed arches, which leads to other things like knee problems, knee pain, um, hip pain, lower back pain, um, having to get orthotics, having to do all sorts of things, even getting bunions and stuff like that. Um, even just having a really bad, poor quality squat can come from having your feet squished together, your toes squished together in your shoes for long a long period of time. So your, your toes point inward, the connective tissue of your feet shortens, circulation gets restricted, and then you can start getting stuff like bunions. So the first place many of us um, may, might want to make a change is like minimalist footwear. Lots of people will, will do this. You'll see that craze in the last sort of 10 years or more. Um, Vibram is quite a popular one. So people will have like shoes that look like fingers. You know, like their toes are sticking out like fingers. It looks really weird, but... Um, Lots that got quite popular. I considered getting them at one stage, but I didn't bother. Still might, but seem quite expensive for what they are. Just go barefoot, yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the things you can do to regain uh, foot health. Minimalist footwear, although it could initially, if you go all in to try and do that for several hours a day, going from big foamy surfaces and squished feet to um, minimalist footwear, you might end up with a lot of bad foot pain really quickly. It's a bit like trying to drink lots of water, increase your water intake, and going from zero liters per day to like three liters per day. You end up in the toilet a lot. Again, speaking from experience. So you're better building up nice and gradually, building up a tolerance for it, and letting your body figure out how to use it best. But toe spacers, um, 
I think are really, really cool and they're really, really good. They look disgusting though. I've got a good story actually. This is my first <laughs> first experience of toast spacers up, up close. Whenever I lived at, um, in Coleraine, live, I lived in Port Stewart, went to uni in Coleraine, um, some of my housemates, I'm not going to name the, the one this applies to, but if you know me and you know who I live with, you'll probably be able to guess which one it was. But we were we all did like a weekly shop. We went to Tesco's, um, other brands are available. And we were getting stuff for the for the shop for the, from the shop for the, that week for groceries for making our dinners. We'd make all our dinners together. We'd take turns each night, and apart from me, because they didn't, I I couldn't really cook, so they had pity on me and they made made my dinner for me. God bless them, great lads. But we were <laughs> we take turns to pay for it as well, so not as always as the one person paying for it. Um, every week we we transfer it and would would spread the cost, but at the till. Um, one of the guys got his wallet out and he was getting his, his money out or getting his card out or whatever and out popped this thing from his wallet onto the conveyor belt and the the, the girl at the till just sort of picked it up like, and she was like I think you dropped this and handed it back to our housemate who shall remain nameless and he goes oh thanks very much that's, that's my toast baster and he shoves it back in his wallet and the girl's face dear lover I mean dear lover she did not sign up for that. Whenever she said she was going to work for Tesco's and she was telling her friends they got a job in Tesco's, she never imagined that she was going to be picking up someone's toast out of their wallet and handing it back to them with her own bare hands. Like, good job this is the days before COVID and stuff or otherwise. Like, I mean, what was on that thing? It was way worse than COVID. I guarantee it. But um, that was my experience, first experience of toast so again, like any other fad product thing that is uh, being becoming mainstream or more mainstream, the benefits of toast spacers, the claims around it are many. There's so so many. One of the, the base, the most basic benefit, I guess, from it does stem from their ability to assist your foot to return to its natural shape. So it's widest at the toes. It's not squeezed in at the toes. Um, there are other. More indirect benefits, I guess, from toe spacing, including better circulation, improved balance, stronger feet, um, so better balance and stability. Whenever you have, whenever you can spread your toes, whenever you can spread your big toe from your wee toe to your big toe, whenever you can get a good feet off the floor, it helps your balance. It helps your stability. So no matter what you're doing, whether it's running, jumping, squatting, whatever it is you're gonna do you're going to be able to feel the floor better and therefore your, your it's called proprioception, so your your feedback loop, essentially. The, the messages that your brain is getting from the nerves, from the sensitivity in your feet from the floor is going to help you to balance better. Um, so wide, healthy toe splay will improve your balance and stability, which is going to benefit your athletic performance, as we said, and helps prevent falls. If you're older, that's a really important point. It's going to help prevent falls Another one is increased blood flow. So do you, do you ever get a cold feet? I know I do. Hands and feet are the two worst areas for me that get cold. Everywhere else is pretty much grand. But modern footwear, footwear restricts our blood flow to our toes. And if you wear toe spacers for like a while, there's, there's actual evidence about this one. So thermal photography research will show a noticeable improvement in your blood circulation and increase in foot in the temperature in your toes. So... This is another benefit of good blood flow. It's gonna produce faster healing. If you've got a foot injury, it can become really, really troubling. Um, if you don't have sufficient blood flow to that area, to the site of the injury, um, so if you squish your 
squish your feet together so that's one of the reasons obviously why they leave your toes out whenever they put a cast on you um, if you if you if you break something but there's lots of other reasons i'm sure as well but if you can increase blood flow to that area if you can spread your toes and get more circulation down there it's going to heal better but it's also going to mean you're not going to freezing cold feet in the winter time um, which is pretty important um, the other one is natural foot alignment so properly aligned feet and um, they're required to help prevent and recover from a load of modern foot elements we've just listed them earlier on there with bunions um, hammer toe flat feet collapsed arches all that sort of stuff so they're they are modern foot elements um, apparently we didn't used to get them they really are part of the of the of the modern world we live in we did an episode on that not so long ago and this is one we probably didn't talk enough about but there are so many issues whenever i started training people the amount of people with plantar fasciitis if you don't know what that is you are very very fortunate because it's supposed to be very painful and um, my mom had it, my brother had it um, had so many clients had it within a very short space of time and it's a real real it's a very painful thing it's basically whenever you get up off a chair or out of bed you feel like there's a dagger into the the base into the heel of your foot and um, your plantar fascia there basically gets really really annoyed uh, and angry and you feel the brunt of it um but there's all sorts of foot foot deformities and painful conditions that can be that can come about because your natural foot alignment is all disfigured deformed the other thing is stronger arches so if you can spread your toes better you can form a better arch and it seems a wee bit like detached from uh, that that claim it feels a bit how does that how does that work how does that line up it doesn't seem like it lines up but whenever your foundation is supported by strong stable toes we're able to better activate our arch if your toes are kind of just stubs in the end of your foot um then they're not going to be able to do this properly so with your toes in proper anatomical position your foot muscles are gonna be able to fire more frequently um, and this is going to make them stronger it's going to boost that arch integrity it's going to keep it stronger keep it keep it firing off and going to help um things on up the chain so if your if your arch collapses suddenly your ankle collapses suddenly it puts more pressure on your knee on one side of it suddenly your hips getting a bit more pressure suddenly your lower back's getting more pressure and it goes on up the chain so there's all sorts of things can come from having poor arches weak arches and then basically increased range of motion if you use toe separators toe spacers you can stretch the small muscles in around the toes as well as the toes themselves generally probably, probably call them muscles they're more like tendons ligaments and things like that they're not really muscles as in the traditional sense um, the toes bear our full weight with every step we take so toe flexibility is really really important so in particular the benefit of toe spacers for a big toe flexibility can help prevent injury um, if you can flex your big toe the amount of flexion you get on it so flexion um, and extension then how we land on every step this is going to affect all sorts of other other chain reactions on upstream as you said like our knees or hips or back stuff like that so increasing your toe flexibility and range of motion is also going to help stretch and activate that plantar fascia like we said and this is going to help increase our ability to absorb shock with every step we take so how do you use toe spacers um i was i read that you should keep them on for about 30 minutes initially keep them on for about 30 minutes and try and walk around and then try and do some stuff with them and um, barefoot and um, other people might tell you you should put them on longer you should leave them on longer which is fine but um i think going smaller bursts to start off with but doing it regularly is probably the best way to go about it 
Again, I don't wear them probably as regularly as I would, as I should do, and I could do, but um, it's better than nothing, right? But you can benefit immediately after putting the pair on. You'll start to feel your everything stretching out and get feeling better. You'll feel all those, all those the toes getting nice, nice stretch on them. So, um, some of the benefits are increased blood circulation. Um, whenever you wear them regularly, the benefits of these to of the toe spaces really compound, and you'll notice better balance, you have better range of motion, you have less pain. Um, it's a bit like wearing braces for your toes. If you think of orthodontic braces, it's a bit like that. So just like the braces for your, your teeth, their their corrective potential is basically a result of the time wearing them, um, and it slowly spreads, um, your physiology. So you're so it'll be less impactful and it'll be more naturally spaced, and it's not going to feel like you're getting your toes pulled apart, um, like it might might do the first time you try it, but. If you wear toe spacers when you're doing physical activity, so doing doing things like you know walking, squatting, you know working out, squatting, all that sort of stuff, weightlifting, hiking or running, doing yoga or whatever it is you do, you get even more benefits. That's why I say do something active. So if you have them on in the house, stand up, walk about, you know go do the dishes, do whatever. Just try and move your feet. Go try and have them active rather than passive. Not only can your toe spacers benefit from, uh, can they benefit your athletic performance? They can benefit you in the gym and out of the gym, but they can give you stronger, more stable foundation. So, like we said, stop you from stop you from falls if you're older. Um, it's gonna also, if you never you wear them, it's gonna um whenever you're active, it's gonna help you accelerate the positive benefits we've already listed that you can get from toe spacers. So, as we said, they're gonna be if you're using your feet, moving your muscles, moving moving your your toes, and uh, while keeping them spaced out, you're gonna make them take over. Give you a little challenge. Take your socks off, um, and try and stand up and move your toes independently, like you can your fingers. Some some people find it harder than others to do it with their fingers, but you know what I mean. Try and lift each toe separately without any other toes lifting. Most of us can do a big toe. We've got pretty good control of it, but our other toes, it's really difficult, right? And um, this is a bad thing. If you notice a baby, basically babies have really sensitive feet, really strong feet, and they can they've kind of got all that that independence in each. Each toe they can move them without moving move one without moving the others, which is pretty cool. But we get we basically lose this unless we use it, that old adage. But there's you know, the amount of time it takes to heal certain conditions like bunions or plantar fasciitis is gonna depend on where you start, how long you wear spacers for, um, and what you're doing, what else you're doing to kind of help support the health of your feet. There's no point you squishing your feet into really narrow shoes if and then going wearing toe spacers and thinking you're gonna get a great result from it. You're probably not. You probably need to make sure they're getting really good wide footwear, wearing minimalist footwear whenever you can, and trying to build up that tolerance in your feet, build up that stability in your feet. Gonna have a roundup of this week's news, which is actually last week's news, and possibly the weeks before as well, because we didn't have um, any roundup then in the episode with Eamon, Eamon Laird, because I just don't like polluting his lovely episode with uh, my hot takes on the news but this one is from the 20th of September 2022 it's from Sky News and the title of it is early bird or night owl how your sleep cycle puts you at risk of heart disease and diabetes the physiological society who knew there was such a thing has published new research that suggests how everyday sleeping patterns can affect and worsen your physical health Night owls are at a higher risk of developing heart disease and type 2 diabetes than early birds, new research has found. 
published in Experimental Physiology, the US study, found night owls, people who prefer to be active later in the day, that's me, have a reduced ability to use and burn fats for energy, which allows them to build up in the body. This can lead to an increased risk of getting type 2 diabetes and heart disease, researchers from Rutgers University in New Jersey found. What do you think of that? That's crazy, isn't it? Although, whenever I think about it and apply this to people I know and the, you know, their lifestyle and what, what they do, it makes sense. I would tend to be more of a night owl. Um, some of my family members, I know the ones that are kind of more night owls, you'll stay up later, they would tend to put on weight a bit easier. And the ones who like getting up earlier would tend to be a bit slimmer. Kind of crazy, right? So it kind of goes with the territory, I guess, if you stay up later. And this is why I tell clients all the time, if you want a really top tip on how to lose weight, how to get in shape, Without even having to go to the gym, do exercise, watch what you're eating, without doing any other thing or focusing on any other thing apart from this, is go to bed earlier. Sounds simple, right? But think about it. If you stay up later, if you step to 2 a.m., if you step to 12, 12 p.m., 12 a.m. should be actually, 12, 12 midnight, to be clear, then you are going to be more likely to eat mindlessly. You're going to be feeding yourself crisps, chocolate. You're just going to be feeding, and you're not even going to be aware of what you're putting in your mouth. And you could be on Netflix, you could be on your phone, you could be watching a movie, you could be watching football, doing whatever, just lying there stewing. <laughs> if you get into that rut and you don't discipline yourself to go to bed. And that is what happens. I know this happens to a lot of people. There's a massive correlation between people who struggle with weight management and going to bed late. So if you want to change your life, you want to change your lifestyle, you want to stop yourself um, from going down that road of getting developing type 2 diabetes or heart disease, Start with what, what you do for sleep. When do you go to sleep? Try going to bed earlier and try getting up earlier and see what happens. But yeah, bit of a bit of an interesting story that there's some sort of links they have found. Um, they've got some percentage here. Um, following fuel preference monitoring, the individuals were tested for their aerobic fitness levels on an incline challenge with the incline being raised by 2.5% every two minutes until the person got to the point of exhaustion. Participants consumed a calorie and nutrition controlled diet with fasting overnight in order to lower the chances of diet's affecting results. So because chronotype appears to impact our metabolism and hormone action, we suggest that chronotype could be used as a factor to predict an individual's disease risk. We also find that early birds are more physically active and have higher fitness levels than night owls who are more sedentary throughout the day. So you know if you're like kind of sitting there all day in your office, you just want to go home and decompress and lie in front of the TV, don't do that. Go for a walk, do something active, get, get yourself moving, You've been sedentary throughout the day, so we need to get moving. Come to a class, come to Cross Functional Fitness. We make room for you. We do that for you. Um, but try and get moving and then go to bed earlier and get up earlier. Go to an early morning class even before work. And our second news story, this is from diabetes.co.uk from the 22nd of September by Connor Seary. And the title of it is High Intake of Ultra-Processed Foods Linked to Increased Risk of Collectoral Cancer in Men. Men who consume a high amount of ultra-processed foods are 29% more likely to develop collector cancer than those who eat smaller quantities. A study has revealed 29%, so nearly a third more likely. So this scientist from Harvard University and Tufts University have... That's a funny university to go to, isn't it? Tufts, what university? Where, where did you get your degree? Tufts. Sounds a bit like... I'm not going to say anymore. I'm not going to say anymore. I find that sugar-sweetened drinks and ready-to-eat foods can trigger the development of collector cancer in men. It's not surprising, is it? It's really not surprising. We know processed food um, is terrible for us. 
We started out thinking that colorectal cancer could be the cancer most impacted by diet compared to other cancer types. Processed meats, most of which fall in the category of ultra-processed foods, are, also, are a strong risk factor for colorectal cancer. So whenever we talk about processed meats, again, this is one of my hobby horses. I said every week, but because it's so poorly reported, um, processed meats could be, like they like to say things like bacon and sausages, which I guess, yeah, fair enough. But you can't throw red meat into the same thing. And actually they haven't done that here, which is good. But I think the things like chicken nuggets or like deep fried chicken compared to normal chicken, that's the sort of stuff that processed meat would constitute. Um, Wang added, ultra processed foods are also high in added sugars and low in fiber, which contribute to weight gain and obesity. And obesity is an established risk factor for cancer. So yeah, obesity again, like we say, regularly it it it. It accentuates every and amplifies every disease there is. It makes it worse. It, 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 hel it, it helps develop the disease and then it makes the consequences of that disease more 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 dangerous for you. So it's again not surprising it's coming back to obesity and weight gain and being overweight. More than 200,000 adults took part in the study by outlining their food consumption by filling in dietary surveys every four years. Not a big fan of this approach to be honest because everybody is really bad at reporting what they had, especially with every four years. Um, I mean, everybody's diet changes over four years. Yes, we can, to some extent, keep hab habits the same, but self-reporting is never a very accurate way of, of doing anything. But these findings show that those who consume a high amount of ultra-processed foods are more at risk of developing collective cancer, particularly men. Ultra-processed foods that put men most at risk include ham, bacon, fish, cakes. Who eats fish cakes? Fish cakes, really? Okay. Fruit-based beverages, soda, and milk-based drinks, the study has reported. So there's a bit of a collection there. I mean, you could argue that milk-based drinks, what, what is that? Is that uh, milkshakes? Um, is it cow milk-based drinks? Um, what does that mean? Soda, um, fruit-based beverages, I guess that's like your, you know, all your, your things like, like your highly processed, um, Sweet drinks. I'm not even familiar with them, so I'm struggling to name some of them. Ham, bacon, yeah, for enough quite processed. Fish cakes. But yeah, interesting. Um, according to the research, some ultra-processed foods are not associated with cancer, such as yogurt. So they must have they've clearly outlined that and made that a little bit um, of a dis dis discrepancy whenever they're they're figuring out this stuff. So that's interesting. Uh, chemically processed foods can aid in extending shelf life, but many processed foods are less healthy than unprocessed alternatives. Absolutely, couldn't agree more. But is, is it that surprising? Is it news? Is it just that the science is kind of confirming, the scientific studies are confirming what we already know? Like there's a huge body of work now, they're just getting the data together, they're getting the figures that say 29%, third more likely, third more likely to develop collectoral, co collectoral cancer. So that's a funny word than those eat smaller quantities. Nobody wants that. So the question is, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to keep our risk factors down? Because we can take ownership of this. This isn't just, oh, we're victims. Like Nobody's making us eat ultra-processed foods, are they? We can start doing things today to reduce and to eat more more um, wholesome foods, whole foods, um, unprocessed foods, as natural as possible. Are we going to do it or are we going to increase our risk by possibly a third? Like a third's a lot. It's up to you. It's up to me. 
Another news article that uh, we missed over the last couple of weeks was on the 22nd of September. They all seem to be published on the 22nd of September, which was ever was going on. This is from GQ magazine, uh, UK. Um, again, another fantastic publication. Hopefully my sarcasm picks up over over the airwaves. Um, this one is called, Is the world ready for extremely effective weight loss drugs? A new class of medicines has the potential to permanently change the way we look at tackling our obesity problem. It says specifically America tackles its obesity problem, but it's kind of strange because it's in it's the UK website, so I don't know why. But earlier this summer, Forrest, Forrest Smith got some promising news. The Denver-based petroleum engineer who works for the National Park Service had her, had read reports on the new diabetes medication and clinical trials have confirmed a potent side effect. Many users could shed up to 20% of their body weight. Smith told me that he spent his childhood cast as the fat kid in school and his adulthood locked in a cycle of losing pounds and regaining them. Though he is not diabetic, he is aware that some doctors were prescribing the drug for weight loss and feeling like he had nothing to lose, sought one out for treatment. He, he took his first weekly injection in July. He says it was like a switch was flipped overnight. Food cravings disappeared. When watching skinny friends eat, he used to wonder, how do you not, they not eat the entire plate of cookies in front of them? That all changed. One cookie, totally doable. He now weighs 236 pounds, 24 pounds down from when he began the medication. Smith's spies and parents were so impressed with his progress that they decided to seek out this drug as well. I'm not even going to get the name of it because one thing, I can't pronounce it. Number two, I don't want to promote drugs. Especially drugs like this, which are just off, you know, on the market and we don't know the long-term side effects yet but it's kind of crazy right i mean you know there it says here there are big hurdles to overcome to, um, to widespread adoption and not just questions of cost and approval that every drug faces on its way to the public weight loss drugs have a checkered past if you look back in the history of obesity drugs have they've been approved have them taken off the market says dr spencer Nadolski. We're following that guy, Dr. Spencer Nadolski, for a while. Um, interesting guy, some interesting takes and things. But he's right, there's so many. These things have been put out so often, and um, they're claimed there's this miracle drug that's going to help people lose weight. But the, the problem isn't the, the weight loss, the problem isn't things like curbing ad- appetite and stuff like that. One of the biggest issues I have with it is this quick fix mentality. It's that somebody, you always just wait for a drug to come along and it'll save you. And what that does to our psychology is a bit like getting furlough. I mean, whenever whenever furlough's paid out, whenever you're given money for not going to work, it does something to your brain, it does something to your psychology. And then suddenly whenever it's taken away and you have to do some work to get money, then suddenly you, it just feels weird, it just feels strange. It feels, well, you feel like you're getting cheated, like it's a bad deal, like you have to do something to get something, you know. And it's a bit like this. Um... Whenever you, whenever you work for something, whenever you sweat for something, whenever you practice self-discipline, whenever you have to start eating healthier. Now, it might, you might be able to drop weight, right? You might be able to drop weight in this drug. But what about things like cancer? What about all of the, like we said earlier, the processed foods, the implications of eating lots and lots of processed food? Or just keeping those things in your diet or all the damage that they've done? Now, I get that it's changed his psychology to the point where he doesn't crave eating a whole pack of cookies. Which is kind of cool. But having to work for something, having to sweat for something, having to having to do something in order to get something, there's a reward that comes with that. There's it does something to your brain. It's really hard to explain, but basically it builds self esteem, it builds confidence, it builds um 
all sorts of all sorts of things that you need as a human to not just survive in life but to thrive so that you can have a, you can develop an attitude of resilience it develops a resilience not just in your body but in your mind as well so one of the things I have, one of the problems I have whenever I see these weight loss drugs or these amazing new drugs that are going to replace exercise and all is that great, but <laughs> what's it going to do to people's mindsets? I mean, we're already a nation full of um, widespread mental health disorders. I don't think this is going to particularly help those things. In fact, I think it's going to make it worse. We know the benefits of exercise for our mental health and probably for one of the reasons that I've outlined is working, doing something to get something doing something to get somewhere and that is a really important part of the puzzle that's one of the important things that we leave out another really um this is a really good story actually i was really thrilled to see this in mainstream media but this is on the 28th of september which is just over a week ago and this is from sky news gains lifting weights regularly could cut risk of dying early study finds whenever it says could cut risk it basically means it's definitely cutting risk Study published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine found adults who reported any weightlifting, so that's like once a week, once a month, I guess, that counts as any, right? Had a 9% lower all-cause mortality risk. And then they've got a picture here of this really burly um, elderly man. He looks quite old. He's got a huge beard. I mean, it must take him several decades to grow that big grey beard. Look up the story. It's kind of a cool picture. He's got a really, like, quite a young haircut. And he's got he's grimacing as he's curling some some dumbbells. He's got a shirt off, um, but yeah, fair play to him. Great tan as well, by the way, dude. Great tan. He's probably in his eighties. I don't know. Um, lifting weights rarely could cut people's risk of dying early. A study has found a combination of pumping iron, I love their like little <laughs> little catchphrases, and aerobic exercise every week reap the most benefits. Researchers said, academics at U.S.'s National Cancer Research Institute in Rockville, Maryland, examined data on almost. 100,000 adults taking part in a U.S. screen study. The participants, who had an average of age of 71, gave information on the weightlifting, their weightlifting and other exercises they took part in. So it's not like a long-term, kind of over-the-year type thing. It's like they picked these 100,000 people with an average age of 71. So that's like, there's some dudes in there and some girls in there who are like really, really old compared to compared to that 71's in the middle. um, Probably. um, But some 23% reported any weightlifting activity and 16% reported um, regularly weightlifting at least one to six times per week. I would love to see somebody over 70 lifting six times a week. That's incredible. I don't know what their program's like. Almost a third, 30% were deemed to be sufficiently active by researchers, whatever that means, with 24% meeting aerobic activity guidelines and 8% exceeding them. So less than 10% exceeding what the government recommended guidelines are which aren't very big to start with during a follow-up period of 9.6 years to 28,477 of the participants had died which is really sad the study published in the british journal of sports medicine found adults who reported any weightlifting had a nine percent lower all-cause mortality risk that's just doing anything just lifting stuff lifting weights uh, a similar observation was found for heart disease deaths but no link was found between weightlifting and cancer deaths those who took part in regular weightlifting were found to have a 14% lower risk of death, while those who met the aerobic activity levels had a 32% lower risk of death. Adults here, also one of the problems with weightlifting when it comes to older adults is that the, by the book they will recommend that older people should do lightweight and lots of reps, which is basically aerobics. <laughs> like 
let's just call it what it is. It's aerobics. It's muscle endurance. It's stamina. It's not weight training in the true sense. It's not strength training. So bear that in mind when we're reading about their uh, understanding of weight, older people weightlifting. Adults who reported meeting the aerobic threat guidance thresh. Sorry, adults who reported meeting the aerobic activity guidelines and weightlifting at least one to two times each week were found to have a 41 to 47% lower risk of death during the study period. Weightlifting in older adults was independently associated with lower all-cause and cardiovascular disease mortality, the authors wrote. Among adults reporting no aerobic MVPA, monitored to vigorous physical activity, any weightlifting was associated with a 9 to 22% lower all-cause mortality. Lower all-cause mortality was observed in older adults doing either aerobic or weightlifting exercise, but the lowest mortality risk was seen among adults who reported both types of exercise. The weightlifting associated mortality benefit shown here provides initial evidence to clinicians and other health professionals that older adults would probably benefit from adding weightlifting exercise. Probably. Probably. Really. The fact that we lose muscle, we get weaker as we age, and they're saying we would probably benefit from doing weightlifting as we age. Really? Okay. Um, would probably benefit from adding weightlifting exercise to their physical activity routines. Adults are urged to do at least 150 minutes of a moderate intensity activity or 75 minutes of vigorous intensity activity a week. They are also encouraged to do strengthening exercises in inverted commas, don't know why that's inverted commas, that work the legs, hips, back, abdomen, chest, shoulders, arms at least two days a week. So basically squats, deadlifts, presses, pulls. Yeah, covered all bases there. That's what we do here. We've got lots of um, people over 50, 60, 70, well, coming up on 70, some people, um, that, that we train here. We've had people in their 70s and even 80 before. Always a pleasure to train them. But that's what we do. We train all those basic human movements and we gradually load them and uh, to great degrees of success. So it's great to see the science is gradually catching up with the experience of everybody who's ever lifted weights. It's good to see. It's good to see it's getting a little bit of our time although I'm not sure their interpretation of the data is all that helpful. But it's progress, right? They're heading the right way. Doesn't often get some airtime. But it's good to see. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, I've got so many, um, so many news stories to get through this week. This is another one from BBC News, and this was just three days ago, so like the 3rd of October on the BBC, it's actually BBC Business News for some reason. Can electrical stimulation improve your gym workout? The first time that long distance rower Levy Ares tried exercising in the gym while wearing a whole body electrical muscle stimulation suit, EMS suit, she says it felt strange. I wonder why that would be. I got into the suit and then trainers spread me with water and strapped these things around my arms, legs and glutes. That's inverted commas, buttocks, in case you don't know what glutes are. BBC is very... Dora about that because I just said ass like you know says the 51 year old I thought to myself um, am I really going to be able to exercise wearing these then the electrical stimulus of the machine gave me the most unusual sensations when she woke up the following morning at home in London Mrs. Ares says her muscles are the level of soreness that she typically got from working out for a few hours yet she only had exercise had only exercised for 20 minutes EMS has long been used by doctors to help improve the mobility of people with a number of health conditions such as patients recovering from a stroke or people with multiple sclerosis. Using low currents of electricity to stimulate muscles and nerves, it is also often used by mothers during childbirth in the form of a piece of equipment called a TENS machine to alleviate the pain. 
This sees a woman fix sticky pads to your lower back and then use a handheld controller to adjust the level of electrical charge that the pads emit. While those health usages typically focus on one area of the body, the whole body EMS suit, which typically comprises of a short, well, typically is in that sentence for a professional journalist, just, just saying, um, which typically comprises a short sleeve top and shorts are now a fast growing trend in the fitness and gym world. Are they really that fast growing? growing? I don't know. Maybe we are left behind here. We probably are. Um, the idea is that the electrical stimulation of your muscles speeds up the effect of exercise and strengthens. So you can do a 20 minute workout that is equivalent to lasting one lasting 90 minutes if you weren't wearing the bodysuit. While this might sound fanciful to many of us, the number of gyms offering EMS has been increasing quickly. One such provider, USG and Iron Body Fit, has continued to expand in Europe over the op over, after opening more than 100 studios in France over the past five years. Um, it's a pretty long story, but it's kind of it's kind of funny going back to that initial paragraph where it says about how she was working out for 20 minutes that she got the same level of soreness from working out for a few hours that is one of the biggest issues that we come up against as personal trainers being sore is not the goal being sore is not a sign of progress it's not the sign of a good workout and this is just being perpetuated in the mainstream media again by the bbc and trying to convince people that being sore means you have had a great workout. Being sore is not great. If you're going to put this suit on and you're going to do a load of heavy back squats, what what, what benefit is that going to be? Um, and there's a guy here actually in this story called US, he's a weightlifter, veteran US weightlifter, Robert, Robert Hurst's opposition to the whole body EMS is more straightforward. The 64 year old thinks it simply does not work. The stress put on your muscle BMS is insufficient to create the micro-trauma weightlifting creates, said Mr. Herbst, who has won several World and American Championships and still competes. Um, I would wholeheartedly agree. Yet US exercise physiologist Tom Holland says full body EMS is useful because it can encourage people to do more exercise. Squats, lunges, crunches, bicep curls and other additional exercises are more fun. <laughs> more fun. <laughs> when are lunges ever fun? When are crunches ever fun? We're more fun than done through AMS. So you can't walk the next day. Um, but again, this is a weightlifter, Robert, Robert Herbst. Um, and he has no time for this sort of thing. And neither would I. But yes, exercise physiologist Tom Holland apparently does. But you know the problem with a lot of these things? The people who come up with these things don't exercise themselves. It's the views, the views, their um, the views, their scientific genius and their scientific ability to create products that will possibly sell, and um, will create a little bit of a fad for a few years. They'll make a lot of money, but the problem is, as always, they're completely useless. That's just my two cents. If you disagree, I'd love to hear your viewpoint. Not that I'm right and you're wrong, or you're right and I'm wrong. I'd just love to hear a different viewpoint because, to me, I don't think they're ver it's very useful. And our last news story is from sciencealert.com and this one got the rounds a little bit, it got a little bit of traction through social media but the title of it is Weightlifting in Old Age Does More Than Just Keep Your Muscles Strong and this is by David Neild and this was on the 2nd of October 2022 and I'm really sorry if you heard a burp down the microphone there, I tried not to but it just slipped out, it just slipped out. New research into weightlifting has revealed two insights that the practice is able to strengthen the connections between nerves and muscles and that this strengthening can still happen in later years of our lives. Of course it can. The body still adapts. doesn't matter if you're 80 or you're 8. Adaptation will happen when you apply stress to a living organism. 
We actually start losing muscle mass before the age of 40 caused in part by a reduction in muscle fibers that happens as motor neurons, cells in the brain and spinal cord that tell our bodies to move, break down. This decline can't be stopped, but the new study shows that it can be slowed down significantly. I would beg to differ that um, it can be it can be stopped, um, and it can certainly, as I said, slow down significantly. I, it's kind of funny that there's a lot of people in their forties though, are at their strongest. So how long can you slow down for? Like their fifties. Um, according to the study's results, weight training makes the connections between nerves and muscles stronger, protecting the motor neurons in the spinal cord. Essential. For the well for well functioning body, previously researchers have been unable to prove that weightlifting can strengthen the connection between the motor neurons and the muscles. Our study is the first to present findings suggesting that this is indeed the case. Says exercise physiologist Casper Sondenbro from the University of Copenhagen, Denmark. This is partly because of the challenges in sampling enough tissue at locations where muscle and nerve cells connect, so meaningfully meaningful measurements can be made to overcome this. The researchers instead looked for biomarkers related to the stability of the junctions between neurons and muscles in the biopsy samples of the participants. The research involved 38 healthy elderly men with an average age of 72. I know a few 72 year olds would, would take exception to calling them elderly, but anyway, who were asked to undertake a 16 week course of fairly intensive weightlifting training involving leg presses, leg extensions, leg curls, and two upper arm exercises. Um, you're probably, if you know me, you're probably gonna know I've got an issue with um, all of those things, leg presses, leg extensions, and leg curls. Why not just do squats? Anyway. Um, another group of tw 20 healthy elderly men, again with an average age of 72, did no weight training and were used as a control comparison. Weight training sessions happened three times a week. After two months, halfway through the experiment, the differences in muscle size and fitness could be seen. Researchers collected muscle biopsies and found detectable changes in the biomarkers from twinges in the back, in back, back, in the back to pain in the knees. The indication is that weight training can slow down some of this breakdown between muscles and the nervous system without actually reversing it. The researchers suggest that starting earlier in life can build up reserves that the body can fall back on. I like that suggestion. The study shows that even though you can begin you begin late in life, you can still make a difference. Of course, the sooner you start, the better, but it is never too late. Even if you're 65 or 70 years old, your body can still benefit from heavy weight training. I'm glad you said heavy weight training because it's... It's, it's, it's kind of laughable at this stage. We're in 2022 and we're still applying techniques and training philosophies from the 1970s and we know better than that now although this study was done in men this applies to women too for example older women who are more prone to osteoporosis benefit from resistance training just as much as men do if not more i would say as many populations around the world continue to live longer and longer the issue of preserving a good quality of life in our twilight years becomes more and more important and that includes keeping muscles working as well as possible while there are certain biological processes that cannot be stopped as the years go by, the research has shown that diet as well as exercise can protect against some of the damage that old age can leave us vulnerable to. The next stage in this particular area of research is to work out how strength training helps nerves and muscles stay together. Now we need to determine what specific which specific mechanisms cause weight training to strengthen the connection to the nervous system. To do that, we need to introduce different methods, though our goal continues to be to make sure as many senior citizens as possible not only live longer, but also experience well-being. Research has been published in the American Journal of Physiology, Cell Physiology. Very interesting. Really good article. Check that out. I've basically read it all to you, but um, it's an interesting area. And again, everybody who does weight training knows that this is the, this is true. And especially if you're older, the amount of older clients I have and have had who can't believe how good they feel after a few months of weight training if they give it long enough. And 
yeah, it's exciting that again that there's studies that are backing up what we already suspect and we already basically know. What do you think of that? Show it to your parents, show it to your grandparents. It's joke of the week time. I know this is the one you really miss whenever we don't have an episode. Dr. Eamon Laird shared one last time. It wasn't great. It wasn't great, not gonna lie. Um, it's, it was probably equally as bad as some of the ones that I share. But we're gonna redeem ourselves this week. Whenever your girlfriend comes home in a white suit, covered in bee stings, smelling like honey, you know she's a keeper. Right, here's another one for you to make up for not being here last week. I saw an old man fall into a well today. I guess he couldn't see that well. You can use those over the weekend, by the way. On me. Mission failed. We'll get him next time. So that is the end of another show. Thank you so much for joining me. We had lots more to talk about, but um, it was basically about the time. I think it's over an hour already. With so many news stories to get through and so many funny, funny jokes. I think you'd agree to get through. But we will save it for another time, another topic, and we will get to it. Hopefully this has been enlightening. Hopefully this has brought to your attention some things that are out there that people, weirdos, specifically like me, um, actually do. <laughs> so hopefully, maybe you'll try them yourselves. Maybe you'll try some toe spacers. Maybe you'll try some uh, mouth taping. And uh, I would love to know how you get on. If you want to um, send in some some uh, comments, tell me I'm a weirdo, I'm a freak. Um, those are welcome as well. I'd love just feedback in general. It'd be brilliant. Let me know you're out there. I can know you're out there. I can see from the, de- the, the demographics and all the details that Spotify sent through to me. I know who you are, as I said. I know everything about you. The data and the dirt I have on you is incredible. Anyway, kept you long enough. Have a great weekend. Don't forget to train today so you can be stronger tomorrow. And I will hopefully see you, talk to you again next week. <laughs>